We'll turn now in God's Word for our message this morning to 1 John, the Epistle of 1 John, chapter 3, and this morning we're going to look at verses 10 to 15. 1 John, chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. Let us read God's Word. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. May the Lord bless his word. The title for this morning's message is, Do You Love Your Brothers in Christ? Do you love your brothers in Christ? The subject means a lot to me personally. For the first few weeks after I was converted, I was converted, strangely enough, through the internet. I didn't meet a Christian for the first four weeks after I was saved. Um, I'd seen lots of Bible verses and things like this through um, various websites and videos and whatnot. And one verse that really stood out to me was Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I was heavy laden and I threw myself upon the Lord. It was about 10 years ago now, March of 2009. But I knew very, very little. And I remember after the, the weeks of reading my Bible, my Bible by myself and praying by myself, I had this hunger to meet other Christians. I returned back to the Roman Catholic Church, which I was raised in, but realized quickly that the Word of God was not taught there. So I didn't return. But I remember the first day I was... Cork is where I'm from, and it was, a, it was in Cork City. And I remember that day so fondly, and it, it's etched in my brain, where I met Christians for the first time, and I spoke for hours about Christ, and, and they were all uh, swarming around me, asking me questions, because somebody like me doesn't come along very often, I think. But it was such a wonderful day. It, it was a day that I will forever remember, and I'm forever thankful for. Another day that is etched in my memory is 18 months later, I was traveling around Italy and I didn't value the fellowship and the church and church attendance as much as I ought to have. And um, it's a shame, but for about a few weeks I didn't know where to go to church. And I remember um, eventually finding a church in the middle of Italy um, and 
I remember that sweet fellowship. It's like if you don't eat for a number of days, that first meal tastes amazing. There's a natural hunger in each and every one of us, even as babes in Christ, even as very immature Christians as I was back then, that we love the brethren. We love to spend time around Christians. I've met many people over the last 10 years since I was saved, and I've talked to people and trained for things, and they would tell me that they love Christ. They would tell me that they read and love God's Word, that they pray regularly, that they're concerned about doctrine, and you can tell these people have read a great many books. And they're concerned about the worldly trends in, in the church. But usually at the end of our conversation sometimes, and this is a very scary problem, I think, around where I'm from originally, many of these people do not go to church. I am not claiming what the, the state of their soul is, one way or the other, but it is deeply, deeply concerning because the passage of scripture here is very, very clear that if someone does not have a love for his brother in Christ, neither does he have a love for Christ. We looked last Sunday, Sunday, and we were looking at how the believer hates sin and how he does not sin habitually. That it's not his characteristic fruit. That's what John the Apostle is speaking about in verses 4 to 9 in the previous verses. But now he's going from what I would call the theoretical. Because it, it, we can all kind of go, he who practices righteous is righteous. Well, that, that's okay. We might think that that's us. And it's concerning that there's people who can think that, that they, they can neglect this. And there's so many people like this. But it can go from the theoretical, yes, we hate sin. But at the same time, can neglect the fellowship with God's people. Theoretically, they hate sin, but strangely, they also seem to hate God's people. They are home with the lost. They're comfortable in the lost presence. I'm not saying we avoid lost people, but they're comfortable in the lost presence far more than God's people. And if that is you, I would be deeply, deeply concerned. In verse 10 here, John goes from theory to practice to one of the most acid tests that you can have. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're revealed. They're shown. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For many say they love Christ, but they seem to shun, seem to mock even, tragically, his blind. Much can be said about this. But we need to also have a perspective, not only to love Christ, but out of our love for Christ, out of a true love for Christ, we'll see that there's a love for his 
bride, the church, our brothers in Christ. We're going to look at this topic of do you love the brethren in Christ in the four headings, looking at these verses. Number one, no righteousness, no love. Number two, the unchanging message of love. Number three, the fruit of no love. And lastly, number four, no love to love. Number one, no righteousness, no love. Sometimes, again, as we're saying, it's easy to stay in theory. Things sound easier when we imagine them in our brains. You know, how many things do you think of starting at the start of January? They sound easy. Maybe joining the gym. Maybe reading more books. Perhaps studying for your exams more. It sounds easier in theory, but a lot more difficult in practice. Moving house is often so difficult because we have so many unexpected things we find before we do so. Saving money. Ah, sure, we'll just, we'll just spend a little less. Learning a musical instrument. And before you know it, you see how much it costs for the piano lessons, how many hours and hours of practice it takes. It always sounds easier in our heads until we see it in practice. And when we see it in practice, in real world examples, with all these things I've just mentioned, we finally see the tiredness, the fatigue, the impatience, and even the boredom that can kick in sometimes when we try to take on something new. How many people think they are righteous even? It says again in verse 7, we dealt with last Sunday evening, he who practices righteousness is righteous. And how many people think they're righteous? And the people who will forego going to church, and they're often very, can be very hypercritical of the church. It's a dangerous direction to go. Yes, the church has issues. Yes, the church has blemishes this side of eternity, but we're to love Christ's bride. And there's also a sense in which she is glorious. She is the bride of Christ. And just like with anything, as we look at the examples of righteousness, we can imagine we'll do that when the time comes, but when the time comes, we're like, mm, we, we have our excuses ready. Theory is often easier than practice. So often, we think we're going to do it, but we don't. What does the real world do here? It exposes something about our heart. It exposes something about our heart. As John says here, whoever, verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. He brings in this concrete example Something that really tests your love for Christ, really tests if you practice righteousness in the sense in which John is writing about in this epistle. It really sheds light on that. Well, what test is this? 
There is a clear demonstration in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Two groups of people, the children of God and the children of the devil. There's no third group. There's no group in between. There are only these two groups and a great chasm in between them. Now sometimes this side of eternity we will not know for many, whether somebody's converted or not. And that is in the Lord's hands. We admit people into the church based upon a credible profession of faith. Judas was accepted as one of the apostles. And for all intents and purposes, everyone thought he was a believer. No one suspected, Christ knew, but no one suspected he was a thief and a complete hypocrite in his heart. We may think we are righteous in our practice, in our fruit, but do you love the brethren? Think about this. The one for whom Christ has died. The one united to Christ. The one you can see before you each and every day. The one you have to deal with. The one who will even at times inconvenience you. The one who may even annoy you from time to time. Because it's far easier to remain in theory. It's far easier to, to have all this knowledge but never practice it. It says in 1 John 4.20 that if someone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? Verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's completely illogical. It's absurd. If you do not love your brother in Christ, whom you do see before you, but it's very easy for the one you don't see. Because why? What can you do with the God whom you don't see right in front of you? You can create an idol. And the God you think you perhaps love is not the God of Scripture. It's the God of your imagination. Submitting to Christ also includes loving your brothers. It includes submitting to biblical church Government, as it talks about in places like Hebrews 13, 17. It is not just me and my Bible. People sadly think that sola scriptura is just me, my Bible, and I. No. The Bible tells us, that same scripture tells us, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We are not Created, we have not been created to be islands, brethren. We've been created in God's image. And part of that image, and part of the relationship between the triune God is relationship. We need each other. And as we were saying, theory, it very rarely can go outside of our minds and theory by itself doesn't inconvenience us. It's why if you ever go to a university, they love talking about philosophy. 
And it very rarely goes any further than theory. No love, no righteousness. They go hand in hand. They go together. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. They go together. If you don't practice righteousness, or if you say you practice righteousness, but you don't love your brother, it's a facade. It's a front. And perhaps you've been deceived yourself. We often, it's important also to say this, we often fail in our love. We often fail in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love is imperfect. It is imperfect. But it will be there. It may be a tiny, tiny seat, but it will be there. There will be some element of it there. And again, it will be as simple as you far more enjoying the company of the brothers and sisters in Christ who will rejoice in righteousness over those people out in the world. One of the first things I noticed when I was saved, I was uncomfortable with people I knew for many, many years after I was saved. I couldn't put my finger on it at first. But these strangers, these Christians, who had never met before, felt like old friends. What did Jesus say in Matthew 22, 37? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Because this is a very issue. But our love for our brothers who are in Christ this is the second table of the law summarized together. To love your neighbor as yourself. And that will be especially seen in our love for our brothers in Christ. Number two. Number two. The unchanging message of love. The unchanging message of love. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. <clears throat> Why is this? Why is it if you love not your brother that it shows you do not practice righteousness? Let's look at this, this phrase here, from the beginning. And John the Apostle uses this phrase, from the beginning, a few times in this epistle. And it says in John, 1 John 1, 1, it says, That which we have heard, that, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, that which is from the beginning. And this is speaking about Christ. It says, which we have seen and our eyes, which we have looked upon and our eyes hands have handled concerning the word of life, that which was from the beginning. And also in chapter 2 verse 7 it says, brethren I write no commandment to you but an old commandment which you have from the beginning. From the very very 
beginning and that becomes even clearer with the example that is shown with Cain and Abel going right back to Genesis chapter 4 but this word here so this is this message which you have heard from the beginning and another way of saying that, that here is the message which has not changed this is the very law this is the very character of who God is the Ten Commandments are his character summarized. And it says this message, and this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Not just any message. The word can also be translated as instruction or directive. It comes from the word angelia. You get the word angel, angelia, kind of um, a message, but also an instruction a directive. This is the directive, this is the instruction that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Is this something new? No. Which makes it even more emphatic. Nothing new. And again, it makes it more forceful, more comforting that this is an unchangeable standard from the beginning, something which never changes, that we should love one another. From the beginning we have been taught, what? To be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1, to love God, to keep his commandments and to love our neighbor. This is the summary down of the commandments. Commandments 1 to 4, the first table, imitators of God. To follow Him isn't just following God to the neglect of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Out of our love for Christ will overflow our love for His bride, the church. For God himself is love. 1 John 4.8 tells us, He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. He is what it means to be loved. And in other senses, what does love look like? It's commandment keeping. Here is his characteristics. Here is who he is. An easy example of that would be, Thou shalt not kill. That commandment to not kill. God hates murder. And he loves life. So God is love. And if we want to know what love looks like, it is commandment keeping. Or another way of saying that, being like God himself. Verse 16 of 1 John 4 says, And we know... We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in him abides in God, and God in him. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. How do we change? How do we... Maybe we struggle in this area. Maybe we're... We, we, we know we're born again. We know we love being around the brethren. But how do, we, how do you work on this? That you're so saturated with the love of God. That you spend so much time with Him. That you are so 
you delight so much in him, that you cry out so much to him, that out of that love for him, you'll have a greater love for his bride, the church. So therefore, to not love is to not be like God. This is the message, the directive, the instruction from the beginning. It's to reject the one who is righteous, the one who is just, the one who is holy, the one who is good, and the one who is loving, kind, and merciful, and the one who is the source of all goodness and all truth. If you truly love God, you'll love the brethren in Christ. Number three, let's look at the fruit the fruit of no love in verses 12 and 13. The fruit of no love. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that, it, we, know that we have passed from death to life. Not as Cain. And there, there's basically the two examples, even though the two names are given here, of Cain and Abel. Two brothers. Two people who grew up in the same household. And tragically, one is remembered badly and one is remembered well. The one who is remembered well in the scriptures is Abel. Righteous Abel. It says in Hebrews 11.4, that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. The other, as we see in verse 12, is of the wicked one. It's quite a stark Contrast, isn't it? There's times when John speaks very tenderly in this epistle. He wants to encourage certain people in certain stages of their walk, those who are earnestly trying and being changed by Christ. He wants to encourage them, and he does so in various points of this epistle. In, in chapter 2, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. But there are also other times in this epistle that he wants to shake that false confidence out of those who should have no confidence. Not as Cain. You see, here's the contrast. Love one another, not as Cain. Not as somebody, maybe that your neighbor who's maybe hasn't been to church in a while, but not as Cain, who is of the wicked one, who is of the devil. A child of the devil, unconverted, not born again. John is showing here, kind of an almost exaggerated a little bit, to show the evil of the fruit of no love. 
to how, how egregious it is that it is not something that is not that serious. Because sometimes we think, okay, yes, we need to love more. Yes, that's great. But how evil is it not to love as we ought to? And it says here, and what did Cain do? Not only was he the wicked one, and murdered his brother. Could you imagine seeing that in these headlines? But what everybody said, I can't believe he killed his own brother. What would make someone do such a thing? You hear these horror stories sometimes in the media, and they will be played over and over again for many years to come because they will put shock into people's lives. Cain here murdered his own flesh and blood, his own brother. Now at that time, that was what the church was. Well, what could be more evil than to steal something that is the most precious thing we have, that is life itself? Something from once it is gone, at least humanly speaking, cannot be recovered. Something that can never be restored. Murder takes a life unjustly. Murder takes a life unjustly. It steals life from another. It is the ultimate form of hatred. And I notice how I say unjustly. Unjustly. There are legitimate uses of the sword by the state that are described sometimes in Romans chapter 13. There's also the death penalty, which is prescribed for people who murder unjustly. In Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man. This is why the death penalty has been given to all nations. This wasn't just given to Israel. This was prior to the giving of the law on Sinai. This was given to all the nations, the death penalty for murder. Murder is an attack upon the image of God. That's what it says in Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. That's why there's the death penalty for murder. Or at least there should be in the state level. An attack upon the image of God is an attack on God himself. The evil one, the wicked one was himself a murderer from the beginning. It's, isn't it such a... Just you know, pause for a second. It's, we all know we should love each other. But how many of us think how wrong and how evil and wicked it is not to view us? Jesus said this to the Pharisees who never believed, and they thought that they were not slaves of sin, he says to them in John 8.44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who inspired Cain? Now, his heart was wicked, unconverted, affected by the fall, but that inspiration for that murder was from the devil himself. 
who is held, who, who takes captive those who are outside of Christ. It says in Job 24, 14, the murderer rises with the light. He kills the poor and the needy. And in the night, he is like a thief. A murderer, someone with no pity or compassion. No pity or compassion. You think of your own flesh and blood. There's times when you may not get along with your family members. But there's some degree of natural affection that still goes on there. What a striking, what a piercing image of how evil it is not to love our brothers in Christ. Why the lack of love, love by Cain? The very core of the issue. Why the lack of love by Cain for his brother Abel? Very, very simple. Because, the end of verse 12, because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. But surely there's something more psychological. Maybe, maybe he had some trauma in his youth. His works were evil and his brother's righteous. A very, very simple explanation. Sadly, much of the time we want to skip over the simple. His works were evil and his brother's righteous. If you do evil, you hate good. You see, and ultimately you see your works as good themselves if you do evil. While the others are bad. It says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Knowing all this, and that the world follows the evil one or the wicked one as it has here, should we be shocked? Should we be shocked in our Christian life when the world hates us? It says, John, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. It's been like this from the very beginning. And why? Because their works are evil, and by God's grace, they are righteous. And then that puts the fear of God sometimes into some people. There are some people professing believers in various things, musicians and things like this. The world absolutely loves them. The world loves them. We're not talking about a, a world that it plays, plays even lip service to Christianity anymore. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. The world will hate you. And for a very simple reason given here, the works are evil and the brother is righteous and they do call evil good and good evil. They see us as evil. If you practice righteousness before those who practice evil, they will see it as hatred. We know or should know that the fruits of no love, that hatred, even murder, will be directed at us if our works are righteous. Number four, no love to love. No love to love. Kind of question mark. Verses 14 and 15, we know, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. And John keeps this, he doesn't let go of this murderer again. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now let's look at ourselves. This is talking about a passing from death to life. Conversion is different for everybody in one sense. Perhaps you're raised in a Christian home. Perhaps the Lord regenerated you in the womb. We don't know for many people who've been raised Christians in Christian homes. The exact point that they come to Christ may not be known. It may be known. It may be known. I have met people who've been raised in Christian homes converted at the age of 20. So it may be known. But at some point in the past, by God's mercy, by God's grace, it went from death to life. From a hatred of brethren in Christ to a love for brethren in Christ. Because we are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature children of disobedience. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Have you passed this day? Have you passed from death unto life? No more theory. Practical fruit. By examining if we have passed from death unto life. Do you abide in death? You may think you're a Christian. But what do you think of Christ's bride? What do you think of Christ's bride? Do you long to fellowship? And I'm not just talking about chats. And they can be also fellowship, of course. But fellowship is the idea of partnering with someone. And helping one another. Do you show compassion? All right, look at that tonight. But compassion for the bride when in need. As we're talking about the children's message. If you find a little boy, seven years old, with no food, no water, is lonely, has no home, and you do not care for them, what does that make you? If you have the opportunity to help them and you walk away, How wretchedly, how wretched would that be? What if we do the same thing with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Look at how much of evil it is. He still abides in death. And whoever hates his brother is a murderer. <coughs> a murderer. Because Cain, when he murders his brother Abel, it started off as hatred. It was in the heart. He hated his brother. And that hate boiled over into him taking his life. The other scenario is that we love Christ. And out of our love for Christ, we will have compassion and love, especially for the household of faith. Whatever else you might think you have. If you have not gone from hatred and love 
Christ's bride. And this is why it's so important to be in the church. People who shun church membership, this is happening more and more today, those who shun the means of grace. What are you telling the world? What, what is the message you're putting before the world? You're telling the world, I am not a Christ's bride. I'm, or I'm too good for Christ's bride. And that often is the way it is portrayed. If we are changed and conformed to the image of Christ, we want to be part of his bride and to labor in the body of Christ. Demonstrating, showing by our lives that in our hearts we're not murderers. That we have been given a new heart, a new nature to follow after Christ. And how do we show before the world? Apart from sharing the gospel, of course. And apart from also loving our neighbor as ourselves. But if the church is not showing love one toward another, what does it say to the world? Think about it, brethren. If, if, if a visitor came in here who wasn't born again, just out of curiosity, would they see the love for one another? Would they see young people helping old people and vice versa? Would they see a joy to spending time with each other? They might even walk out going, I don't understand why they believe in Christ, but at the same time they can see that there's a love one for another. But if that is not there, and people are strangers to each other, and people do not join one another, what does it say before a lost and fallen world? In conclusion... Where do you stand today? Do you abide in life? Are you, do you love your brethren in Christ? And how do you know? All of us have areas we need to repent in. Every single one of us. And I bet you we all have things flooding through our minds. When we made excuses why we couldn't help somebody at some point in our lives. We're too busy. Don't quite have enough money, etc. Let us love, not in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us aim to love our brothers more, not the bare minimum, but that we seek to follow Christ. And if there, and if you can see this this morning, perhaps you're here. Perhaps you've been raised in the church. Perhaps, maybe this has exposed something in your life. And you go, and you examine your heart and go, I don't have any love for the brethren. Then repent. Today, this very morning, and run to our compassionate, our merciful Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Place your trust and your hope upon Him. For he is meek and willing to save all who will come to him. Amen.